0: Hello, PerfBytes listeners. Before we begin, please take a moment to listen to a word from our sponsors.
1: Whether you want to load test your APIs or your browser-based applications, you need to be able to easily scale up volume and identify problem areas. SmartBear has you covered. LoadUI is the rock star of API load testing. Using an intuitive, versatile design, LoadUI gives you the power to scale up and out, letting you dial up high-volume and real-world load from any number of local and remote computers, all within a single test environment. With LoadUI, it's easy to create and configure tests, incorporating all of your operating system, application, and database statistics agentlessly. It's fully interactive, too, so you can easily modify your tests and fix errors on the fly. Load Complete is an astonishingly easy-to-use load testing tool for HTML, AJAX, and rich internet applications. Create and run automated load tests in just minutes, using a browser to naturally record your interactions with the website or application. You can scale up the number of virtual users, pull in data from Excel or other data sources, monitor server resources during test execution, and even distribute your test geographically. Load Complete's reports and charts make it a breeze to explore aspects of how your site or app performs under pressure, and ultimately pinpoint performance issues proactively. Actively. load UI and load complete by SmartBear. Ensure outstanding performance across your entire web stack.
2: It's time for perf bites. What the f is perf Bites? The fourth
3: square meal of the day. Don't forget perf bites. <laughs> Waffles. Microwave ready. blah blah. Add Lop-de-blop. nutritional value to your brain.
0: It's time for perf bites with your hosts Mark Tomlinson, James Pulley, and Howard Chorney.
3: Perfbytes. Whatever.
1: Hey, PerfBytes listeners, it's Mark Tomlinson here with your multi-perplexed and binary accelerated hosts, Howard Chorney and James Pulley. And of course, joining me in today's show is a return of a very special guest who's recently also returned to the independent performance consulting world. It's the tone hog himself, also known as the load tester, Scott Moore. Scott, welcome back to PerfBytes. It's great to have you here, man.
4: Hey, Mark, it's good to be back. Very cool.
1: And you've uh, you've been doing more than just load testing, right? You've been uh, you've been getting back into lots of things in music, too,
4: right? Yes. I've been doing some audio production here at my uh, home studio here in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, not country music. Thank God. But uh, doing a lot of rock stuff. (laughs) So I I will never forget
1: being there as we were listening to um, what was the guy's name? The really awesome guitar
4: player. Johnny Hyland, Johnny John, Hyland. We went and we saw just Johnny
1: Hyland, and, and it was a, he's such an impressive guitar player, but I remember you turning to me and saying, all right, we can leave anytime you want. It's going to take me like a week's worth of listening to Black Sabbath to get this out of my head.
4: Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love Johnny, and I've actually uh, talked to him recently, and he's a great guy. But the the whole chicken picking thing is so complicated for me because they have they play it a different way. They play a lot with the right hand and fingernails and stuff. And, you know, I'm just used to watching Jimi Hendrix play with his front teeth. You know, that's
1: yeah. And he was not a chicken picker by any image. But also in your copious downtime, uh, you've also been doing a little bit of research on today's topic, which is HTTP2, uh, which is very exciting. Um, So thank you. And you posted an article. We'll share the link out. Uh, on am linked into that. But um, of course, also in the background are my other standby steadfast host, James Pulley and Howard Chorney. Howard, how are you up there in Boston? You're probably still buried under a bunch of snow, aren't you?
2: Oh, yeah. There's just a gajillion feet of snow on the ground. And by the way, interesting fact, Toy Codwell of the Marshall Tucker Band was a hell oh. of a chicken pecker. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, I, I think that's true. But I'm not sure he... he he wasn't a hybrid picker, though, I don't think. He was still sort of classic country picking. Absolutely. So, so,
0: so, Howard, is that a pass-off to uh, me and the Carolinas since the Marshall Tucker Band kind
2: of uh, came out of this area? Well, yes, James. That could be an excellent one. And where in the Carolinas were the Marshall Tucker Band from, James?
0: Oh, now you're going to put
2: me on the spot, I think. I think it was Spartanburg. Like that's absolutely correct, my friend, from Spartanburg, Spartanburg, South Carolina, uh, the Marshall Tucker Band. And would you take a guess where I was born, Howard? Like James, were you born in Spartanburg? I was. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hot damn! Well, at least at least uh, one good thing came out of Spartanburg. Well, we'll, well, we'll leave on. it at that. You're good too, James. Not just the Marshall Tucker Band. Uh, yes. I, I don't rise to that level. Yeah. But
1: here's the point that you might not understand: <laughs> is that James probably has a lovely singing voice, and he he probably in Spartanburg was could be the the love child from um, maybe a, a late night visit with uh, after backstage with the Marshall Tucker Band. I
0: I, I can confirm,
1: uh, knowing my parents, that's not possible. That's not possible. <laughs> no. Okay. We won't. We won't go there. Um, so everyone, um, we this is a great opportunity for us to uh, to uh, dig into a topic that I know Scott's been wanting to talk about with us for quite a while. And now that he's uh, back out on the scene and, and posting things about this HTTP two, let's talk about what this is sort of the background and basics of this uh, fundamental change in the specification for the protocol that supports every web app on the planet. And so, really, Scott, maybe giving us the, the the basics of how did we get to HTTP two. From good old HTTP 1.0 and
4: 1.1. Okay, sure. Um, it kind of got on my radar when I saw uh, that Lode Runner 12 announced uh, support for a new protocol called Speedy, S P D Y, which I had not heard of. So kind of raised my eyebrow. I said, let's do some research on this and found out that, uh, you know, as any good project starts off with, if you, if you have a company with as much money as God, like Google, uh, you can spin off some some people and have some time to say, hey, let's let's make some things better here. Look at HTTP 1.1 and let's see if we can do some things better, faster. Uh, Can we improve it? So Speedy was basically that. It was a research project that uh, Google did. I think they started it in 2009. Uh, They first introduced it. And of course, Chrome was the first um, browser to start supporting it. And uh, apparently they had some success because uh, http2 uh was basically what speedy version 2 was going to be right. and right. uh so it was the improvements over http1.1 uh that uh, i guess the, the the powers that be said this is worth checking out and it, i guess you could think of speedy as http2's father
2: http2 i am your father <laughs> <laughs> so Howard,
1: uh, you're, so as we look at um, Google versus Microsoft in a vendor war over this, I think it's the, the question is: is this HTTP two the same
2: as Speedy two Is it actually the same thing or no? Um, I think it is the same thing. There is a big, massive political battle over it, though. Yeah, we can get about we can get into that in part two. So as Speedy
1: takes the next step and and. And and becomes Speedy 2.0. It became so popular that you know here as you point out, Scott, Google creates it, and then Microsoft I see also starts to support it. If your default install of 8.1, and you start going to some Microsoft sites, it actually, you'll see little pop-ups that say this site supports the Speedy protocol. So now you got Microsoft chasing Google's tail, and then the minute Microsoft comes out and supports Speedy. Then Google says, well, let's go create speedy.2, and now there's uh, HTTP2, which, which is – so we just keep – the vendor competition keeps growing and growing.
0: Yeah, yeah. He who design, he, he he who defines the nature of the engagement usually wins. So I, I, give, I give, this we, give this one to Google. I give
2: this <laughs> one to Google. Ding, ding.
4: I have to agree with James on that.
2: I think we've been giving a lot to Google lately, to tell you the truth. They've certainly been cutting edge. In the modern era of people doing performance testing, and maybe they're recording from the UI,
1: they're using TrueClient, they're using Selenium to push load, they're doing things that are in the UI, there's a lot of folks that might be doing some kind of performance analysis on the front end, and they don't really understand even really what HTTP as a protocol is. Uh, And so we'll get into that. But as a spec, um, just so everyone knows, almost all of your browser-based applications... And normal desktop applications or mobile applications that speak across the web over HTTP, in the web services, our our recent uh, episode on web services, we talked about SOAP or uh, REST-based services going over HTTP. That protocol is an agreement in between vendors, and the reason we talk about Microsoft or Google or Mozilla or Apple in the Safari world um, all these different browsers have to sort of agree, hey, this is how this is how we're going to uh, have a protocol to translate and move web docs. This is, this is the way we do it. Which brings me to the point of talking about sort of the W3C. Um, and I was on the... I'm still sort of listening in and, and not super participating on the web performance working group. That's part of the W3C, and we do things like navigation timings and other things for instrumenting and educating on top of the protocol. And I don't have an answer yet whether some of the things from the W3C for web performance, um, have made it into this new HTTP2 spec. But Scott, did you find that the W3C or the IEEE kind of world, are they actually on board with this?
4: They are. I believe that just um, went into their inbox or outbox this week. The last approval was, is it the IETF? Yes, believe is what it's called. They, were, uh, they went on board with it this week. So this is something brand new. Uh,
1: so, so they've been they've been working on it for a while. James, you found, what was the comment about the IETF?
0: Uh, I'm, I'm not sure about a comment from the IETF, but, but speaking to your, some of your navigation timings and other items from the Web Performance Working Group at the W3C, it seems like a lot of those have such a high client basis to them. You know, focusing on rendering, page development, things of that nature, that that Dang this it. is very different from all of those front-end type questions that people are trying to answer. And this is definitely a way to improve the efficiency of the transport, maybe with some trade-offs in some other areas.
1: Right. That makes perfect sense, I think, in terms of... But still, the spec the spec on different parts, people are deciding like with Mr. Souders and the guys at Fastly um, that are, you know, these are front end types of optimizations that allow uh, the browser spec to actually behave better in rendering. This is a similar kind of improvement that happens on the wire. So to yes. speak. Um, so I think the other background that would be interesting is like Scott, really when you looked at the, how this impacts people a little bit, um, you know, this, this for a normal browser app, You know, tomorrow people aren't going to wake up and suddenly everything's broken and it doesn't work. This isn't a protocol that invades things through a Windows update or something like that.
4: No, I think this was one of the the dependencies uh, upon approval that it had to be somewhat backwards compatible with 1.1, which which it does. It plays well with it. Um, But to the average user, will they see – the the big difference, you know, as soon as they start using it, probably not. They're probably not going to know any different. And would they care? Probably not. Uh, people like us, though. I mean, this is a big deal.
1: Yeah, especially if you're as we get into talking about load testing tools and scripting at the transport level, this could be
2: quite disruptive uh, if you don't if you figure out how to handle it. The, hey, just a, go, to ahead, Mark, Bruce, the, go ahead, uh, Howard. Yeah. Just a comment. Um, HTTP two leaves most of the HTTP one one point one high level syntax is, alone such as methods status codes header fields and urls so we really shouldn't see much of a difference at all between 2 and 1.1 and
1: for people that never
2: considered going to
1: speedy in their app um, they'll, they could probably move to a new platform such as a windows server 10 and and start uh, doing things in that world or even apache being able to support it um, on the front end of any of the web adapters that go in there Um, I also thought there may be some connection, Howard, to sort of mobile apps or apps of any kind that are non-browser-based apps that don't inherit the connection infrastructure or the HTTP stack from the browser where they're maybe rolling something directly on their own uh, TCP IP stack or their own HTTP stack or just the OS... Uh, is this HTTP2 actually more relevant for these non-browser
2: type of apps? I really don't think it's going to affect the non-browser rel- apps. I think that may be one of the criticisms too, Yeah. although we will talk about that more in part two.
1: All right, very, very good. Scott, anything else you would like to share on the background of HTTP2 before we move on?
4: No, I, I think we've summed it up pretty well. I'm, I'm good. I'm ready to talk about the yeah. Problems with HTTP 1.
1: So, yeah, we'll take a break from the sponsor, and then we'll come right back and start digging into the problems with HTTP 1. Hosting for perfbytes.com
0: has been provided by NUCO, new Centers of Excellence in Performance Engineering, The Script Farm, LoadRunner by the Hour, Cloud Architect, by DeraTech, and LightSquare. For more information, please visit the website at www.nuco. N-E-W-C-O-E dot or call 888-212-1104.
1: So, Howard, um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, sort of the general, what, what's the real difference here over HTTP 1.1? And I think Scott was itching to, to jump in and, and start commenting on what the heck is really wrong with HTTP one
2: well let's talk about one of the big differences and that's multiplexing um through a single connection to the origin allowing multiple request and response messages to uh be in flight at the same time which means that url sharding is completely dead (laughs) and it might really be great to a single connection app like uh, a mobile app scott what do you think about that Well,
4: if you think that domain sharding or ULO sharding is something that happens by accident to a guy who's gotten too many domains registered, you might be a performance engineer. Um, (laughs) I actually thought that was something different. I had to look up what that actually was again. Uh, But no, I I think that my biggest uh, contention is… We, we look at GT metrics, we look at YSlow, we look at all these things that we've had to do over these years to turn a textual protocol into something that I don't think anybody envisioned is what the web was going to be in 2015, uh, what it was in 1994. So they've had to do all these workarounds. And so when you get the sharding, you got the sprites. The last time I talked to a company about using sprites to make their website faster, the guy went, sprites, never had it, never will. You yes. know, that's the kind of reaction you get. So, I mean, these are things that we won't have to worry about maybe with with two.
0: I still think there's good design and, and good good reasons to use things like sprites, even with What's coming with HTTP 2, including this server push model, instead of having to push 15 different graphics, push one. So you still have some efficiency gains there. But what I really like about HTTP 2 is it continues and expands the pipelining model of HTTP 1.1. Um, 1.1. It was it was kind of a serial push of of requests and response across an open connection, but here now you've got a multiplexed connection where essentially you have all of your requests and response interleaved. So I I think there's some efficiency gain there, but I think there's some drawbacks and we'll kind of get into that maybe in the the next uh, section.
2: Well, let's just keep – while we're talking about server push, I mean, that was going to be one of the things that we definitely want to talk about. And the advantage of HTTP2 is um, the server push allows the server to avoid additional round trips by pushing the responses it thinks the client will need to its cache. So there's going to be less – round-trip, app turns, um, which is a great advantage of using server pushes. So more of the work gets done on the CPU versus um, at the browser itself. Now, of course, there will be disadvantages of that, which we'll talk about in a minute. But, you know, Scott, do you have any comments on server push?
4: Well, I you know, I mentioned in the article that it's kind of similar where CPUs are kind of waiting on an instruction before they make a decision when they reach a fork in the road. And faster processors just go down both paths. When they finally get the instructions, they forget the path they didn't need and move on. And I think this is kind of a similar technique to that saying the server already knows what the browser really needs. It knows what the links are and the resources that are going to be requested from that HTML. So why not go ahead and start sending that down ahead of time, uh, you know, instead of, Waiting on the next request to do so.
1: Yeah. So the versus an old HTTP one model where I'm going to send you, I'm going to send the client an HTML, and then it's your responsibility as the client to parse it and then start requesting things from me, even though I know what I sent you. Right. And 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 Mark, parsing is the key item here. Essentially, we've moved
0: parsing to the server. What I would like to see on the, the. Web servers is some sort of parse cache, like we have a query plan cache in databases. Oh yeah, so that we don't have to constantly parse all the pages, and take that CPU hit, and then make the decision on what to send downstream. We got to look at some efficiencies there, and and I think that's going to require some revs to um, actual. Web server architecture in order to have that kind of planned cache in that case to get the efficiencies.
1: What about the other the impact to the way an HTTP one app works with a CDN in in a in a system uh, distributed cache like that where you've got okay now the server knows it's going to send it. It's maybe there's things it's going to say well I'm not going to send that because I know you're going to go to Akamai to get that.
2: Well, you know, Mark, that brings up a really good question because I was kind of wondering how this is going to affect um, the use of a CDN. Mm-hmm. I mean, a CDN today does a lot of, you know, doing all that caching, and it, it it's definitely the way HTTP 1.1 helps get data across the user a lot faster right. because you're not having to go all the way across your origin to get the information, so you can just go to the CDN to get it. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's going to break the model
0: of the client making the request and then being satisfied by the CDN. Right. The CDN is
1: going to have to intercept and figure out how to push in stream. Push in stream or the server is going to be smart enough like let's say somebody doesn't know what's going to be served from the CDN and Scott, what do you think if like one of the things a good tester would do to say, well, what's the ser- let's check the server log and see what it's pushing and if you're pushing scat- if you're doing a server push of static content that's a big no-no. I mean, that's like, you know, that that's kind right. of one way you'd be able to monitor it, whereas in an HTTP one, in a pipelining model, that wouldn't, you can't see that.
4: Right, and I think where we've seen all of the the emphasis on this is on the browser client. We haven't seen the server vendors really started up with with any of this. So I think server push is something that's definitely going to have to be tweaked over the next year or two years as we see new versions, server OSs, web server versions, the mods. Um, and I think it's going to get f- better and faster as they learn how to tweak it. But that's where most of the development yeah. needs to be done yeah, right now.
2: Howard, what else we got? Uh, header compression, right? Another beautiful thing about HTTP2 is header compression. It's going to shrink things like user agents from... 24 bytes to nine. Um, So that's really a wonderful thing. So you won't have to like have your headers repeat over and over and over and over again.
1: Headers are mandatory too. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) 100 round trips for HTTP. Every one of them has this redundant, the same freaking headers over and over and over. It's a lot of wasted data being sent back and forth.
2: So it's going to add, you know, it adds a lot more to your payload your payload footprint, too, as you send your packets over the wire. So it's by eliminating those, um, it certainly helps in that area.
1: Right. Now, this was part of speedy, Scott, as I understood it, the, the getting to multiplexing where I didn't have to make independent connections for the repeated data overhead of headers and other things. So combined header compression with multiplexing, the one thing we haven't talked about yet is the idea that this is binary that there's some binary encoded stuff that's not clear in here. And that's, we were even searching to figure out what the encode format or what the scheme was. What do you know about the whole binary stuff within HTTP2? Uh, uh,
4: When you're talking about uh, header compression, though, we get back to just a brief discussion about what it's doing there because, uh, and you guys probably know this, just doing this for your listeners, um, in each side, the client and the server side, there's a locally held buffer right so one side is sending the other side uh information but if it already has that information on the other side all it has to do is send a reference to it right Ooh, that's how geez. gzip and all that works and there's they they compare these two buffers so the very first time that this header is uh, sent uh, there won't be any compression. But then the second and third and fourth will obviously be very compressed because most of that information is the same. But it doesn't mean that if something does change, if uh, a, an image or something that's more dynamic, the the content uh, needs to be updated, it's still going to pull that down for that request or make a new request that's not going to have compression. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that that will get better uh, as well over time. So that I know that's what HPAC really is. Yeah. Don't you guys
1: think that, that to me, that sounds more like not just compression; it's like acceleration and compression in the same thing.
2: Well, it is part of an accel. Compression is a part of an accelerator.
1: But it's but not but the whole like you say, Scott. The checking of have I already sent this? You already have it. I'll just send you a reference, which is much smaller than the actual data. That's to me. That's like WAN acceleration kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it evokes kind of like a, a riverbed type scheme where we're sending a a reference to a sixty four k packet
2: as opposed to the full sixty four k. Piece of it. Didn't I just say that? Compression's part of a WAN accelerator?
1: Something like that, Howard. But, you know, when you say it, it sounds different than when Scott and James talk. Okay.
2: That, that's because he's from Boston. <laughs> exactly so right. the WAN accelerator.
4: <laughs> you know, I'll just mention this on GitHub. Uh, for the HTTP2 page on GitHub, it, it asks the question, why is HTTP2 binary? And it says that binary protocols are more efficient to parse, more compact on the wire, and more importantly, they are much less error-prone compared to a textual protocol like HTTP 1.x. They both have a number of affordances to help with things like white space handling, capitalization, line endings, blank lines, and, and so on. But he, they mentioned that HTTP 1.1 defines four different ways to parse a message versus HTTP 2, which only has one path.
1: So even just in breaking apart the message, it's simpler because there's less options. You just do one thing,
4: so you cut out the overhead. Right. So the method they use, I'm, I'm not sure of, but that's the reason why they chose to do that. Right.
1: Cool. Well, next uh, in the next section, we'll talk more about the tools and stuff. But I think to me, that's, if I were a vendor building test tools or network sniffing tools or things like that, the the binary nature of this is going to be, it's not a complicated hurdle, but it's going to be a hurdle to what you guys, what people have built in their tools, the ability to decode and be able to let real end users sniff and see things that are happening or record and replay.
2: Like WAN accelerators? Maybe. No, no, not WAN acceleration, Howard. Just compression. I just like saying WAN accelerator. Exactly. So
1: Howard... There's, uh, there's some people have made some criticisms. I know you did some
2: research. Oh, yeah. I love criticisms. So oh, yes. It's I not mean, all all-in-all all
1: rainbows and unicorns here. No, it's DPUB. not.
2: There's some uh, food that you could be actually stepping into here. And one of the big criticisms is that um, it's being criticized for not supporting opportunistic encryption. What does that mean, really? What does that mean?
0: The hell does that mean? So that I think that's encryption on an individual request basis, as opposed to enforcing encryption along the entire connection. And and this is, this is something that came out of Speedy. Where if you notice, Google made an announcement, uh, maybe it was about a year ago, that they were going to give higher rankings to sites that used encryption as a default. And since Speedy came out of Google, this kind of makes sense. It would it would support. Their overall philosophy of hey, we want you to be encrypted, and by the way, uh, we we sell certificates.
2: Right, right. Opportunistic encryption's been around for a little while, right, and yeah. definitely more robust. I mean, SMTP uses opportunistic encryption, correct? And no one ever hacks your email, right? No, never. So here's another thing.
1: Hang on, before we leave security, I know I know Scott. In your in your paper, um, you also mention that. You can have something now with, with HTTP2, you're not compromised. Sometimes when we add security or extra security within to an app stack uh, within the communication protocols, it's always perceived as being slower or in many cases is slower. Um, what you had written is something that maybe we don't have to make that compromise anymore.
4: Yeah, it's the, the fact that this same single connection that you're going to have to the server when the initial handshake is made, uh, it is keeping it from going back and forth to determine, should it support HTTP2? Should it be encrypted? All of that's handled within the first handshake. The client is requesting, right. I'm, I want security uh, to be turned on. I'm HTTP2. Can you support it? The server says, yes, I can. Let's go. Uh, and, you're, and you're off and running at that point. Um, what I'm being told is that encrypted traffic from HTTP2 should be faster than non-encrypted traffic from HTTP1.
1: The, and, and it's like to to your comment in the paper. It really gets after this single TLS establishment of a TLS secure tunnel that everything gets streamed through. And if it's streamed in a binary fashion, encrypted binary and and encrypted, um, it would be much smaller and much more consistent and easier to flow as a stream
4: correct and the the thought behind this single connection is it's better to have one single connection going as fast as it possibly can keeping that connection busy on both sides than having eight connections now that are going you know a third of the the speed
1: yeah i'll i'll give a little example in the file copying world if you've ever copied a directory with like load runner results with like 10,000 little files and and you it takes forever to copy that across the wire from one machine to another. But if you zip that, doc, that folder up into a single, not just size, let's say you did minimal compression, and it was still a, a 500 meg file in a single zip archive, and you copy that across the wire, when it actually opens up and copies that, it'll actually copy it a lot faster, even just to USB, the idea that you're not doing repeated overhead of handshaking, or as you point out, uh, Howard, you know, app turns. Yeah, I have to constantly open and tear down round trips back and forth versus open up one connection and stream and multiplex all that response back down to the client.
2: And, you know, app turns over long distances cause long delays in your ability to render content.
1: Very bad. James, uh, what, uh, Howard, sorry, Howard, what other criticisms did we come up with here?
2: Well, one, here's a good one. Um, it, this may take load off of your network, but it could put more load on your server because you're going to be doing more in the CPU.
1: What, what, are, what are we going to be doing in the CPU? I, I thought this was all magic HTTP2 happy land.
2: No, 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 no,
0: no! Oh no! You're you're gonna you're gonna be parsing
1: the pages. I thought the client did that. No, the client's not gonna do that anymore. No,
0: oh, oh see that that that's that's where you get that predictive uh, type of analysis where we're gonna say, hey, we've got the page. Now we're gonna send all the page components to you because we know you need them because that's what's on the page. How do you know what's on the page? Well, you gotta parse <laughs> the page.
1: Yeah, so that's going to put a hit on your web server, your app server. So you might add another node. I bet there's a lot of people in the cloud thinking, "Oh, big deal. We'll just throw throw another v, throw another image at it. We're elastic, dude. No worries."
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They charge for every CPU cycle at Amazon. Didn't didn't they tell you?
1: Oh, you. you I do. You have stock in Amazon? That would that'd be good. They're going to make a lot of more money.
2: Yeah, there's another thing. You know, kind of going on the money and the cost thing. You know, the present cert model does not isn't really compatible with small devices like routers either.
0: Okay. Howard, if I understand what you were saying, is that... all of your HTTP proxy servers and their certificates, there's some upgrade of infrastructure that needs to take place here because if your proxy is only 1.1, uh, you're probably not going to get very far in the negotiation oh, for an yeah. HTTP 2
1: connection.
2: Absolutely. You,
0: know, you get, have that infrastructure in place. Am, 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 I, am you-
1: Yeah, that's going to be nuts. And you think about an, an, uh, an internal IT, with people with VIPs, cert backs, and secondary certs, Running everywhere around on an HTTP or HTTPS cert, that's all based on one point one. Yeah, and
2: these fees these are not these fees are not uh, trivial either. No. So the certs aren't cheap. So it's definitely going to add more cost, at least up front. All right, that might be a little bit of a barrier there. Yeah. yeah. So tell that to your IT manager. Yeah. Hey, it's going to be faster, but it's going to cost you a lot more money now. So actually, Scott, I don't know if you've really done anything on this or if anyone has, but you know just think about it. has anyone done any ROI um, studies on going to HTTP two?
4: I haven't seen any out there in the wild yet. I know that there's yeah. just been a few uh, few people talking about they've seen up to 40% of an increase in their applications. However, that was Google who said uh,
0: that. Uh, and, I, and I'll bet it was agile developers as Probably. well. Probably.
4: And yeah. independently, they've seen about 20% or more uh, of an increase. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: that's in speed, speed. That's in speed. But we don't know if that 20%, I love, I love this part of the argument. I don't know if this 20% is worth the money it's going to cost to do it, at least in the near term.
4: You know, I, this is something I actually wrote another article about, believe it or not, just <laughs> today, about when business decisions need to trump performance-based decisions from the geeks. Yeah. Um, there are absolutely good reasons and right reasons not to implement performance improvements. So, And this could very well be one of those, at least in the, in the short term, until we can see what it's going to do. Very cool. All
1: right, we'll take a little break for a public service announcement. Um, and which one do we want? Play the commercial.
2: Hi, honey. I'm home. Hey, you don't sound too good. What's up? Yeah, not 100% today. My boss says I'm not performing at my peak today. Not performing at your peak? Feeling like you're a website that crashes on a daily basis? Perhaps you need to tune your system up in the morning with a hearty breakfast. The best way to tune your system is to start the morning off with a heaping helping of Perf Bites cereal. Perf Bites is the cereal for the adult on the go. Perf Bites are a little bit of performance goodness with the flavor of a wonderful single malt scotch that will get you up and running to start your day. Perf Bites contains 100% of your daily FDA nutritional requirements. Plus, it packs the punch of a single malt to make your day even more enjoyable. Just add some ice and, woohoo! you're ready to go. Heck, even if you're having a sluggish day after the first bowl of Perf Bites, just have a couple of extra bowls and you won't care about the rest of your day anyway. Hi, honey. I'm home. Did you have a better day today? Heck yeah. Give me another bowl of those Perf Bites. Perf Bites, the official cereal of Mark and James. And if you're a teetotaler like Howard, try the new Perf Bites Lite. All the flavor of our original Perf Bites cereal without the potential for the slurred speech. Caution, Perf Bites are not for anyone under 21 years of age. After eating Perf Bites in the morning, it is recommended that you either take the bus, take the train, or let someone else drive you to work. And remember, start your morning off with that delicious, nutritious cereal called Perf Bites.
1: All right, so let's go into part three, James, where we talk a little bit more about how this is really going to impact folks uh, in their load testing. I mean, when when, and how, is this, how are they going to start being impacted by this?
0: Well, here's where the rubber meets the road, Mark. You know, friends don't let friends deploy without testing what tools are available to actually do this now scott you mentioned that you came across this because you saw a reference to speedy in the loadrunner 12 release well neo load is already there and i think there's some other tools that are on the way for speedy but there's nothing in the market today that has direct http2
2: support come on james don't say others. say cloud test come on cloud
1: test uh, we did barto did confirm with the pm that uh, cloudtest does have support for speedy, for speedy just just like 12 so i think okay, maybe Okay so these so, so cloudtest to... is there
0: but but no one is there with http2 is the I point
2: think that's correct
0: so we got a plugin for wireshark so we can sniff it on the wire and we can decode it and things of that nature but that's about it
1: well i'm going right to give it am going to give a shot i'm not patting myself on the back for for prioritizing in loadrunner 11 the data format extensions but those those little tricks, you know, the instrumentation of a record chain and a replay chain in loadrunner Runner, it's an advanced feature. I think you could use the DFE's and write a DFE that actually decodes HTTP2. If we knew what it was, if it's, I might get 10 bucks. It says it's just base64 because that's the most common one, um, as we've talked about before. So I'm wondering if there isn't some really easy way to use a DFE in LoadRunner. Runner to do the decode and re-encode, and you, you would pretty much have support for it.
0: I, I would be willing to bet that's exactly what loadrunner development is going to do. They're going to, they're going to start with that foundation of the DFE to write whatever extension is required. But the point is, the spec was just baked a couple of days ago. Yeah. Uh, so it's really hard for the tool vendors to say, oh, yeah, we support it. It came out on Thursday, and it's Saturday, oh yeah, we support it. No problem. no problem. E- even if you look at the open source universe, um, the J meters, the grinders, things of that nature, they're still challenged with with just representing the behavior of existing browsers in some respects <laughs> yeah. uh, for the the multi-threaded download model. So when you throw HTTP two at them. What are we going to see there? I, yeah. I think the gulf is going to be even larger because um, the the commercial tools actually have the engineering talent to go ahead and invest in building this stuff out. the uh, The open source universe is going to have to wait until someone demands it.
2: Yeah. So let's put our reality check hats on here for a minute, right? I mean, come on. The protocol just came out. This week? What's today? The 23rd? All right, last week. Well, today's the 26th, 5th, whatever. So it came out last week, right? So seriously, how long do we get, think it's going to take for, for wide adoption of this protocol anyways?
1: I, I'll say from, from the internal view, from, from seeing the sausage making of the LoadRunner team, um, which was great sausage, uh, by the way, The uh, you know, it's it could be something where there really isn't much change to make, but you do have to do a QA pass. So it could come out in a dot release, uh, a service pack uh, or a patch of of some of that kind. But you have to go through some QA if it's a very big change, meaning they need to actually change some serious parts of the assembly uh, within load runners delivery for the protocol. Yeah, then then that's going to change.
2: But Mark, I'm talking, but I'm not just talking adoption from a tools vendors' perspective. I'm talking about just adoption throughout the industry. Oh yeah, yeah,
4: yeah.
2: Right. I mean, I think we're yeah, years. Yeah, there's got to be a customer demand exactly. For there's got It's going yeah. to have
4: to be an inertia, right? Where somebody says it's it's working so badly for us or poorly for us that we have to change, and many people will not until they have to. Yeah. So Scott,
1: speaking of that, just just and thank you for speaking up because we're it's a heated debate. The uh, uh, I also in terms of adoption, we we already mentioned that some folks that have been testing normal web browsers in the HTTP one point one world and their apps are fine. If they start moving on platforms and and they don't use HTTP two, it's it is reverse compatible
4: to to the extent that they can still use the uh, the same calls and requests and methods. Yes. It is. It's not going to break. Yeah. So it should.
0: Yeah. Uh, Scott, you mentioned that negotiation right up front. Are you HTTP2 compatible or 1.1 or 1.0? Because the, the, that negotiation handshake still happens today uh, right. for servers for 1, 1.0 to 1.1. If it simply just doesn't respond that I have two and it says 1.1, there's no difference.
4: That's right. Yeah.
1: That makes sense. I wonder, however, though, if you take a, a front end client. That's talking maybe to like a portal that's talking to multiple different web servers and you got one web app that's talking to and another one that's talking 1.1 is if you've got a script that you recorded at the transport level and it's filled, how do you mix them? And that'll be a a challenge maybe for a tool vendor to I've got one script that talks to two different sites, two different URLs, two different origins. And can I use both HTTP 1 and HTTP 2 in a web virtual user or a web script of some sort? Or do I have to do two separate scripts and sync them up and rendezvous them and use some VTS between them and stuff? I mean... This, this could, if you had to support a hybrid
2: thing, that could be really complicated. And I still think you're years away before you're ever going to see that. And I think
0: that's got to come down to the client specification as well. Does the client allow multiple, um, multiple versions? Because I think today, if you have multiple sites, you can actually do a negotiated 1.0 on one site, if, if that exists, and a 1.1 on a second site because your request streams are completely different. You know, it's kind of the old ghostbusters don't cross the streams. I I think there's a potential, if we look at that as precedent, I I think that, yes, you could have a 2.0 on one site and a 1.1 on another, but the client has got to become more sophisticated for that one.
1: Right. What about monitoring, James? Is that going to change at all?
0: Oh, I think so. I think so. Um, As we are taking the load off the network... Uh, we've referenced it a couple of times. They're going to push the load internally, whereas today CPUs are not hit that hard. You've got a lot of co-processed network cards. You've got co process disk subsystems. And that's that's really where the main thrust has been on web servers. As you go to page parsing and predictive uh, pushing and things of that nature, you're going to get a higher hit on the CPU. And you're, you're going to have to watch those very carefully
2: in yeah, this case. Yeah, I think that'd be crazy. Again, ROI, you know, it's still going to bring up that. I'm going to be wrapping record on the ROI argument.
1: Howard, to to this also in terms of monitoring, I mean, this, we're talking, we should be seeing what we could be all of this network optimization because we're moving less data. We're now compressing it. We're compressing the headers. It's binary. People monitoring their networks during a load test or in, in their architecture, they should be seeing that improvement probably most obviously in network usage, Right.
2: Absolutely. I mean the footprint footprint should go down, right? Because you're handling more at the CPU, you're pushing less data across. So I think from a bandwidth perspective, you're gonna get a lot of advantage. And of course, as we kept saying with, you know, app turns and data going across the wire, it will um definitely limit some of the problems you'll be seeing from a latency perspective.
0: Yeah, but but there's but there's also an assumption there that your your CDN layer is also upgraded
2: to HTTP two, and every and everybody chats together. Yeah. Well, this comes to that whole other art ROI argument again. How much is it going to cost for the CDN vendors to start changing all their stuff around? Yeah,
1: if if at all,
2: there could be some real resistance here.
1: Um, Scott, the other thing I wanted to bring up was. Um you know, changing people's approach if they're doing web services-based testing. And uh, we were talking about a little bit before the show, you know, in terms of these calls being sent back and forth, web services calls are going to, are they going to have to run on HTTP2? Is that going to really make a big difference?
4: That's going to be, that's a a good one. Um, I think what we're looking at with a web service call, though, they're they're still going to be single request, right? It's going to be much like how SOAP operates today yeah I don't know that that's going to change that much uh James you feel the same way about that
0: Well, I think there's some benefit. For those asynchronous web services calls for multiplexing the data that's coming back in stream with other data which is non asynchronous in nature. So I, I can see a benefit there on the efficiency on the coming back of, of a mixed synchronous and asynchronous uh, request environment. But that's about the only one that I really see as a benefit for web services. Howard, what are your thoughts?
2: I don't have any. <laughs> Howard, just say ROI.
4: Yeah, it's all about Roy. It's it's ROI. It is all. (laughs) Come on,
2: you may bust my chops about it, but you know something, (laughs) gentlemen. I'm on the business side. I've been on the business side for a long time, and I understand the ROI piece, and I understand what the resistance is going to be. So it's a chant
4: ROI, ROI,
1: ROI.
2: No. (laughs) me. I don't care. Oh, I
4: totally get it. I was just going back to the fact that. HTTP 2, though, has been described as an asynchronous protocol. Yeah. yeah.
1: And that may simply be because of the multiplexing architecture that it got from Speedy. Because Speedy was like, you can make one request and get asynchronously, get all this other stuff back on the same channel. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. That makes perfect sense. So I think we covered a lot. Scott, I want to um, thank you definitely for for jumping in and getting us to finally talk about this. We also should... Next time we should talk with you about websockets. Um, actually, Dan Barto started saying, "Hey, you know, this is similar to how we support streaming across websockets. So maybe we need to do a show with you on uh, websockets as well, um, and that would be really cool." But um, before, as we as we encourage people to, we'll post the link and and go out to your LinkedIn page. Uh, maybe some closing thoughts, Scott, on what you'd like people to take away from uh, from the article. That
4: well, um, I just think that it needs to be t- uh, taken seriously. If we could see a 30 to 40% uh, increase in performance uh, and the cost as as as, <laughs> as we were talking about, the ROI is actually there. This could be an actual game changer because it fundamentally changes the way data is being passed back and forth between a web server and a client. Um, sure. So that's, that's my thoughts. I'd like to see where this goes and I'd Obviously, we we are on the cutting edge. We're talking about the cutting edge right now, the bleeding edge, and that's where I want to be. Um, so there's going to be blood, but I want to get in and start testing this stuff, and, bring, and let's see what happens in the lab.
1: Bring some Band-Aids.
4: Yeah, I'm ready.
1: Exactly. James, closing thoughts. Well, you may be surprised, Mark, but I'm suspicious.
0: No. You're reticent? Uh, yeah, I'm reticent. Yeah, I, I, I think this— <laughs> This seems a lot like we're trading one resource for another. I mean, granted, we're trading an expensive resource in the form of network for one that's less expensive on the CPU, but I I think there's a chance we might overload the CPU, and I think there's a big risk because this requires a large infrastructure upgrade, as Howard noted, and that's going to take support from a lot of vendors, and there's been a lot of patches to HTTP 1.1 to make it perform pretty well, and a lot of this architecture for... HTTP two is going to have to be rethought in in that sense. So so Howard, uh,
2: what what are your thoughts?
0: R-O-I, R-O-I.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, my thoughts are HTTP two helps the performance over the network. Yeah, you know, one thing we real it really hasn't done is anything new for network security. Yep. Okay, so. You know, I'm the performance guy. Yes, I love it and everything else. But I'm also Mr. Paranoia when it comes to security. And the hackers are out there. They're getting smarter all the time. They keep getting after our data no matter what. And the fact that HTTP2 didn't do anything to address any additional security uh, would be a concern of mine.
1: Yeah. We'll see how the security stuff whirls out of this uh, for sure. I think (laughs) ROI. And ROI, the ROIs. Thank you, ROI Parrot. Howard, um, in my, in my perspective, um, you know, we were talking to Dan Bartow from Sosta in the products group. Um, we know folks in the Lord runner world, uh, we should ping Shane and see what he says about it. Uh, on that one thread we had going on Facebook, we had a good thread going back and forth. Uh, Scott, Scott's starting some great conversations out there.
4: I'm Um, the instigator.
1: You are, uh, just don't say the word ROI too often. Um, (laughs) but really I think on this, uh, speedy as well as HTTP two, um, like anything we talk about you know getting after your test tool vendors, uh any testing tools, whether it's a load testing tool, a network sniffing tool, a proxy sniffing tool, uh the fiddler guys, Charles proxy, and other analysis tools uh, that do the web performance stuff um th- they need to the vendors need to jump on this sooner than later, but I'm with you guys it's it, we don't want it to drop off their backlog, but yeah, we got to see some real customers, some big names and customers. To pop up on the radar screen and say, you know what, I'm not going to renew my maintenance or buy your tool if you don't support this. And I, I, I'm i kind of on the fence. I, it could be a game changer. Um, I think it's definitely one of the the biggest things that we've seen in an industry specification that actually takes a huge step forward simply because it's faster. It's just like this is better because it's faster. It's faster for mobile. It's faster. It's just faster. And that was the whole idea of why they called it speedy. Like Speedy,
4: hey Mark, Mark, let's let's bring it down to what we originally talked about in the beginning about music. We can bring it back to music. Remember, there was a guy named Bach who came along and said, "This is the way music has been done. This is the way it will be done," and he fundamentally changed music because that. And then there was this other guy called T Pain who brought Auto Tune to the masses. So we just need to find out if this is going to be another Bach or another T Pain.
1: It
2: could, it could be oh, t-pain i'm just out of it
1: yes uh it, as long as it's it could be steve vai uh you know guitar wise that'd be very good okay guys so before we wrap up things here i do want to um share something very exciting which was uh, uh one of our listeners joshua rector has actually submitted the first listener submitted Perforant and it's really quite good um, because Howard, you're talking about ROI.
2: ROI?
1: So here's here's a perforant from
3: Joshua Rector.
2: It's time for a perforant.
3: you ever find that when someone asks for performance testing, they're they're really not asking for performance testing. They're really asking for something called performance testing so that they can say that they did something called performance testing it's like they have these you know the 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 air quotes around performance testing when they ask for it uh, usually the story goes something like this hey uh hey josh um We've got that new feature that we're rolling into uh, the application, and, and we need to make sure that, the, you know, that, that that's going to meet the, the end-user response time you know, expectations when we roll it out. So we need to do some, quote, performance testing uh, to ensure that, um, that we meet the user's expectations. Well, that sounds reasonable, right? Yeah, sure. So, so tell me, um, where do you want to? Where can we do this performance testing? Um, can we do that in, in a performance testing environment? Well, you know, we don't have that dedicated performance testing environment. I know we have talked about that before, and but right now, really, all we have is uh, we have QA, uh, and it's you know, it's about twenty five percent of prod. So, and we can just we can just lower the user numbers. You know, just divide them by four, right? Um, well, what what exactly does that twenty five percent mean does it Does it mean that we have twenty five percent of the the records in in the database or does it mean that we have twenty five percent of the the servers in the cluster so we have uh, you know two instead of eight or does it mean that we have uh, two one core instead of quad core processors help me understand that well Josh you'll have to talk to the uh, you'll have to talk to the architect about that I, I'm really just the project manager I don't know but but they told me that it's Twenty-five percent of prod, and and uh, so if we divide it by four, um, we can just we can just extrapolate our results, right? Out, out of that, well, I go through the whole you know hockey stick analogy and trying to explain that it's not linear math that we're talking about here when it comes to performance. Just because you get something at twenty-five percent doesn't mean that you're going to get you know four times that when you're uh, when you're at a hundred percent. Uh, Not to mention the fact that we're not emulating the same number of connections, and so we we eliminate any sort of connection pooling limitations or anything like that. You know, I explain all that, and the, the answer usually goes, well... Well, Josh, look, um, we got two weeks, okay. So, uh, what I need you to do is uh, is just get you know as much as you can get done, uh, so that we can you know try and make some uh, decisions on, on this uh, this new business process. Make sure it meets those expectations. Um, so, two weeks, okay. And oh, by the way, um, for uh, for those two weeks, UAT is going to be running uh, in the in the same environment. But 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 I've got good news for you. Um, uh, you can start your scripting in Dev. Okay, so let's talk about that. So does dev have the same the same data um, in the same database as you know maybe pre-prod where or QA where we're gonna execute this? Well no, not exactly. I mean it's definitely a smaller data set okay well what about the build or is dev on the same same build as qa well no no obviously they're not on the same build because they're going to be um they're going to be you know doing their development work but but all the changes they're making are are ui so you know you, there's those won't impact your scripts anyway right so um yeah just uh just go ahead and start scripting uh in in dev and and let's just see what we can get done out of that so we start scripting in dev and a week later what happens Oh, hey, Josh, um, hey, guess what? Uh, we found out, uh, that UAT's really found a bunch of bugs. Um, and, uh, and, and so now instead, instead of a week, uh, I'm sorry, instead of two weeks, you got one week. Uh, but do you you only have three tests to run right? I mean you only have the, 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 the load test, the stress test and the endurance test right and and the longest one of those is 24 hours. So, I mean you should you should be able to get that done in, in a week right without a problem and uh, yeah, so what do you know we, we, we start running the uh, the load test we find, all kinds of issues. We, we never get to the stress test, and, and we certainly don't get to the endurance test, and we're working 75, 80 hours a week just trying to get this done, get some sort of meaningful result out of this, and uh, and the PM is just like riding us like, you know, riding us like crazy to get it done, and at the end of this, you kind of go, did I really add any value here? Did I really, did I really do performance testing or did I just do something called performance testing? Yeah, I think the value pieces is, is optional.
1: All right, Scott, this is awesome article. Thank you again. I just want to um, give a little shout out uh, for different ways that folks can get a hold of you. Now as an independent consultant, you've got, you've got the first person I know using uh, the, one of these alternative Domain's name, so it's Scott Moore. Right, and consulting. there's no
4: .dot com. I can't believe that, but it was available, so I took it.
1: Forget that it's not to come. Right. .dot consulting. I mean, yeah, it's to, very we cool have to do that.
4: Yeah. Well, there's also .dot guru. .dot ninja. .dot uh, there, I mean, There's also .dot
0: radio. .dot radio and uh, stuff like that.
4: Ooh.
1: All right, we may have to look at that. It'd be cool. Now, Scott, I follow you on Twitter at Load and you're still uh, in the Twitterverse. Out there at Load Tester. Where else should people get a hold of you?
4: I'm easy to find on LinkedIn, but if they just go to my main page, scottmore.consulting, it's got all my, it's just a one page site, so it should be speedy. Um, they can get all <laughs> of my contact information there, and uh, I write all of my articles right now on LinkedIn too. So uh, that'd be cool. I'm easy to find. Great.
1: Are you, uh, you got any dates coming up where you may be coming out? Uh, people can come see you and uh, listen to a talk you're giving or anything like that?
4: I'm trying to invest my time right now in uh, online webinars. I don't have anything, any dates right now, but maybe by our next show, I'll have something, and uh, maybe I'll be at another conference soon. So
1: we'd have we'll have you come to SCPCon down in that the would fall, be great. wherever it is in the fall. It might be at Howard's house.
4: Yeah, it needs to be at, in Nashville. That way we can jam after the conference.
1: Come back to Nashville. Yeah. <laughs> well, bites listeners. Once again, you've come to the close of another optimally compressed and multiplexed episode of Bites. And as always, we'd like to thank all of you for taking time uh, for listening to the show today.
2: Well, I'd like to say thanks to my faithful basset hound, Woody, for the funny stuff you did as part of the Chorney family. Rest in peace, old boy. It's only been a week, but we miss you a ton. And of course, as always, I'd love to say thank you to the dynamic Mrs. Chorney. I love you, dear. Very nice. Mom,
0: thank you for tuning in and listening.
1: As we know we have one listener always. Exactly. Very good, Scott. Who can you uh, send some thanks out to? Uh,
4: my special wife, Cynthia, allowed me to do this, so I'm gracious, and she's a pretty good cook. So, it's,
1: and isn't it nice when you're like hard work on a podcast, and your wife uh, or partner brings you a nice hot meal, so you can keep talking and schmoozing while you're while you're eating?
4: It is awesome.
1: It is. It's very nice. Of course, I will always give my thanks to the sexy Irish voice of Bites, and the special thanks to our great sponsors, SmartBear and Sosta, for their sponsorship and support of the PerfBytes show and the PerfBytes community. And of course, once again, Scott, thanks very much for being our guest of honor on this episode.
0: Today's show is powered by bunnies. Warm, fuzzy, lucky, turned into slippers,
2: pink and polka dotted. Bunnies. bunnies. Remember, all of the content of this Perf Bites episode is copyrighted and protected by the West Texas Jackalope. It may look like a fuzzy bunny, but it wears the horns, especially during the fall rut when the male jackalopes compete for the attention of the female jackalopes. Yahoo, baby! Rodham Jackalope! <laughs> <laughs>
0: for more information about perf bites please visit the show's website www.perfbites.com or follow us on the twitter and the facebook and of course you can always subscribe and listen to the perf bites podcast on iHeartRadio, radio itunes Tune in radio, Stitcher, and testingpodcast.com. Just open your favorite listening app. Hey, don't forget Jackalope radio, baby. And search, search for perf bites. Click the subscribe button or favorites button or whatever button you have. And I'm going to turn it over to Mark at this point. <laughs> don't forget the Jackalope button.
1: Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, Excuse me. And please keep in mind that the PerfBytes show and staff are supporters of the Practical Performance Analysts, of Performance Engineering Book of Knowledge, the Computer Measurement Group, the Workshop of, on Performance and Reliability, and, of course, the Software Test Professionals Community of Software Testers. And, of course, we hope to see you at the next STPCON conference in April of 2014 in San Diego. Check out more at www.stpcon.com. Thanks everyone for listening, and we will see you on the next
2: episode of Perf Bites. Bye, y'all! Yahoo! Adam Jackalope. <laughs> Yeah,
4: come on.